Well, if you haven't got a copy of the outline, if you might want to just raise your hand. I do, uh, we're a little stressed for time, but I'm just going to hit the highlights of it. And So, Lord, let's just pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. Holy Spirit, teach us and equip us this morning. I feel like you've already been here and that level of freedom and worship. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was walking out the door this morning. Um, I picked up charisma that came in about two days ago, and I just started thumbing through it, and oh my goodness, it is so much of what I was going to share. If you don't get charisma, you can get it online, but um, with all the attempts by the enemy to stamp out over 2,000 years of Christianity in the Middle East, the destruction of what's happening, all the artifacts and the, the uh, martyrdom that's occurring. The, there's just this whole place, and the, the cover says, Faces of the Persecuted Church. And there's articles. When I was down in Florida, and um, some of you know Barbara Marty used to be a worship leader here, married David. He's on uh, staff down there and got to meet with them. And the articles are in here. So I've, I've met several of these people, Steve Strand and and uh, there's an interesting article in here from Steve Green. And it talks about, they talk about the persecuted church in all aspects, both the, the martyrdom that's happening as well as the persecution that's going on inside the church. I'll just read a quote here from uh, Stephen Green. Sometimes persecution smiles at us across the sanctuary. The suffering that occurs in the church today has little to do with our own profession of faith. It's rare that one of us would be punched in the face because we, haven't, we name the name of Jesus. But the suffering caused at the hand and the mouth of believers in our own small groups can torch the faith of a young disciple. I recall Dateline's NBC stories of investigative reporting. And so he goes on, he says, I wonder what would happen if we had hidden cameras like they did in some of the businesses to find those who persecute. Political correctness emblazons today, the persecution that occurs, discrimination in all forms, and the chaos that comes against police departments and in cities. There's another one that says, what do we do with the persecution? And I love uh, Jennifer LeClaire's articles. She deals with how to pray for those who persecute you. And so I want to just pick up today, I, you know, the, Paul told Timothy to preach the word whether it was favorable or not. This morning, I want to uh, share a couple of things. I think we're in a place of tremendous danger. We, um, we're entering a season, I believe, was prophesied not only by Jesus himself. I've tried to cover in the first couple of paragraphs here. Let's, let's just read with this. The nations, the political process, longstanding alliances, and even the church at large are full of conflicts and chaos. In fact, Psalm 46, I'm just going to stop there for a minute if you want to turn. In Psalm 46, there's a promise, but there's also kind of a spirit of the times that is spoken here by Kor's descendants, the choir director. It says, God is our refuge. Psalm 46, 1, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. God is our refuge and our strength, and He's always ready to help us in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come, when mountains crumble into the sea, 
Let the oceans roar and the foam, and let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. A river brings the joy to the city of our God, the sacred home of the Most High. And God dwells in that city, and it cannot be destroyed. Let's jump over. It's verse 6. He says, the nations are in chaos. Would you say that's true? There is a tremendous, there's always been chaotic times, but there's just a tremendous amount of chaos. And we're entering into a new season of uh, tremendous threat. Uh, this week, I don't know if you saw it, well, there was not only the earthquake in Italy with many that died there. Um, the North Koreans, they launched successfully a missile, submarine-launched missile, which now says he was uh, bragging that he can now strike the United States from right offside our coast. And so... There's a time we're entering into a season that may have been prophesied by Peter. He talks about all that would come, and many believe that's nuclear war. You know my uh, part of my history there. There's some frightening stuff that is about um, before us. Um, so we, the good news is the Lord tells us He's our refuge and our strength. And when the nations are in chaos, kingdoms are crumbling, God's voice thunders and the earth melts, and He says, the Lord of heaven's army is among us. Come and see the glorious works. This is a great scripture. Verse 10, I love this one. Be still. Just be still and know that I'm God. And I will be honored with everybody, by every nation. And I will be honored throughout the world. And the Lord of heaven's armies here among us. The God of Israel is our fortress. That's a promise. So we need not fear. He hasn't given us a spirit of fear. Let's go on. It says... So the nations, the political process, man, if you just turn on the news, it's like, good Lord, between this process here in the United States, the Brexit, the, the, the talk of what's going to happen with the NATO alliances, everything is in a tra transition and tremendous shaking ever since all of this has hit the fan. It's a, a tremendous time of shaking. Second line there, in fact, the Hebrew writer tells us in chapter 12, verse 26 there, I'm going to shake everything. So that nothing stands that isn't him. He is going to shake every foundation. And it seems to he's doing a pretty good job of shaking. But there's also, we were warned, there's a great deception and an apathy where truth is being trampled. It's being twisted. Many see truth and character as less relevant. We were warned by Jesus in Matthew 24, 19, Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the Apostle Peter. Scripture warns of a corrupt desires of the sinful nature of those despising authority, 2 Peter 2, 10, Romans 13. Here's a quote. This is from Romans. It says, rebelling against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Now just hang in there with me, you know, because I want to bring you through this. There are, John Bevere does a good job of this. We've studied this one before. But I believe there are four government structures, pretty dominant uh, structures. One is obviously civil government. Now, our civil government, uh, they can pass laws. Even if we don't agree with the Supreme Court's decisions, they are the law of the land. And if you fail to follow the law of the land, there are consequences to that, right? If you don't pay your taxes, the example there, you know, the IRS is here to help you. Well, if you don't pay your taxes, then the governing authorities, the civil authorities, have a right 
because you're a citizen of this nation, you can come under their control and you can come under their judgment. So there's civil government. Number four, number two is there is family government. There is a family structure, and every family has somewhat of a little bit different culture and things you do, things you consider important. But I was just over uh, Pastor Mike's house and Pastor Kenny's house in the last few weeks. And uh, even though they work for me in, in the structure of the church, I would not step into their family and start telling them how to take care of their children, how they ought to treat his wife, and, unless asked. So there's a place where boundaries are established. And so we need to understand what are the boundaries that we have. You don't step into someone's business. Here's another one. The third one is a business. I wouldn't go into a businessman's business and start telling his employees how they ought to work. I wouldn't tell the business owners, people how, it, but yet that business, there's the crossover. He might tell us what is the um, minimum wage that you need to pay. And if you fail to pay the minimum wage, then you come under the consequences of the government of the United States potentially. But there's a boundary. The fourth boundary is the government of the church or the kingdom. So one is a democracy. Civil government operates under a democracy. The church under, operates under a theocracy. It's run by King Jesus. If you jump the boundaries of those things, you come into a place of placing yourself potentially in judgment against what God is doing. So hang with me. I know just hang in there for a minute. I want you to see that Rebelling against particular authorities. You rebel against the United States. In fact, citizenship, when you raise your hand to become a citizen of the United States, you make certain commitments to honor the society and honor our... We're not under Sharia law. That's another. We, we don't go to Iran and tell them how they ought to run their government. They don't need to come here and tell us how to run the government here. Right? See, I want you to see some boundaries here. Now, let's pick up a call to persevere. Not understanding and respecting the boundaries of authority is spiritually very dangerous. In Jude, why don't you turn with me? Let's um, let's turn first. Let's turn to Romans chapter thirteen. Romans chapter thirteen. We'll begin in verse one. It's interesting when you start diving into this. All of them dealt with uh, the apostles. Dealt with respect for authority, and the challenges they had of their authority. Verse 1, chapter 13. I hear pages still turning. I love that sound. Hallelujah. Come armed and dangerous. Some might have a phone, but that's all right. Verse 1, everyone must, everyone must submit. King James says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, plural. For there is no power but that of God, the powers that are ordained of God. Let's go back to New Living Translation. Everyone must submit to governing authorities, and for all authority comes from God, and those in a position, positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but those who are doing wrong. It would be like to live without fear of authorities. Do what's right. And they'll honor you. The authorities are God's servant and for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course, you should be afraid. For they are the power to punish. They are God's servants sent from every purpose to punishing those who do what is wrong. So you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, 
but also to keep a clear conscience. Pay your taxes, too, for the, for the same reason. The government workers need to be paid. They're serving God in what they do. Give to everyone what you owe them. Pay your taxes, your government fees, and those who collect them, and give respect and honor to those in authority. We see that there's this place where, again, if we don't understand the boundaries of our authority and you insert yourself into an area that you are not responsible for, you place yourself in a precarious place. Let's look at another scripture. Turn back to Jude. Go all the way towards Revelation. Jesus' half-brother. This is an interesting set of scripture. Jude wrote this book. He wanted to talk about salvation and the glory of the Lord, but he said, I can't. i got to talk to you about something that's going on inside the church. And then he names... Now, this is going back. It's like 60 A.D. So Jesus has already been crucified. He knows that his half-brother was the Messiah. He now writes us. He's now part of... Uh, we know that his other brother, uh, James, is leading the church in Jerusalem. And he writes this to the church. He says, be careful. There's danger in the last days. Verse 3 goes on. He says, I wanted to write to you about salvation that we share, but now I find I must write something else, and I urge you to defend the faith of God that's been entrusted to you all the time by His holy people. I say this because ungodly people have wormed their way into your churches. That's an interesting set. King James says it this way. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained of this condemnation, ungodly men turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, different. You can look at what's in the, in the scriptures here, but God's marvelous grace. He goes on, he says, those who did not maintain their level of, of boundary separation, look at this. He even goes on, uses the example in verse 5. I want to remind you that these things that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not remain faithful. And I remind you of the angels who did not stay within their limits of God's authority, but left the place there. And he says there have been, speaks of Sodom and Gomorrah. He speaks then of, of uh, looking down verse 8. In the same way, these people who claim authority from dreams, live immoral lives, defy authority, scoff at supernatural beings. Gives the example of even Michael, the archangel, when he counters Satan. He doesn't even scoff at Satan. There's a boundary. It wasn't Michael's place to even downgrade Satan. So we, we can learn a lot here. Let, let's turn. Um, I want you to look at verse 10. These people scoff at things they do not understand. Like unthinking animals, they do whatever their instincts tell them, so they bring about their own destruction. What sorrow awaits them? For they follow in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. And like Korah, they perish in their rebellion. I want you to see there's three spirits that Jude calls out here. Cain was the spirit of jealousy, and that is everywhere in the church. In fact, it is, when you look at... It drove Satan. He was jealous of God. Jealousy in the church is a significant problem. Jealous of our brothers. What happens with Cain when he was jealous of his brother? Even when God warned him, said, look, your sacrifice is not what, but guard your heart because I see what's going in your heart, Cain. Well, he did not guard his heart. 
He came, became jealous, kills his brother, and you know what happens to him. He comes under God's curse. How about the spirit of Korah and Balaam? Let's deal with Balaam. Balaam was the witchcraft spirit. He gets paid by Balak, the king, to curse Israel. He tries to curse Israel three times. In fact, he just about gets killed by the king. I paid you to curse Israel as the witchcraft person, and you keep blessing him. He says, I can't bless them. They're too close to God. They're, they're too, I can't defile them. They're not defiled. But I got a plan. Let's send in some immoral people that they'll run in rebellion. They'll become immoral in their behaviors. Then that's called rebellion, which is as the sin of witchcraft. Then I can curse them. And that's exactly what happens. We also know what happens to him. So let's turn back. Turn back with me to Numbers chapter 12. In Numbers chapter 12, this is a very, very sobering scripture. I wanted to show you Old Testament and New Testament to emphasize the boundaries. Because if we don't understand, and I've confessed and repented for speaking evil of our president, I may not like what he's doing. I might not agree. And biblically, there are many things that he's brought. But I need to pray and understand he's the man in authority. And we need to pray like Second Chronicles 7, 14, that my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face then and turn from our wickedness. Then he'll hear from heaven and he'll heal the land. He'll heal the land. And there's plenty of stories in here of Old Testament kings that were more, did more evil than anyone else. And, you know, we, we look at uh, those places where I'm thinking of Jezebel, right, and, and King Ahab. Oh, my gosh. It says they did more evil in the sight of the Lord than any other kings before them. Well, what happened? God comes in. He raises up the prophets, turns that all around. So we need to get our boundaries straight. And be careful that we don't run our mouths in the wrong places because then you open yourself to bring judgment on yourself. I don't go into Pastor Mike's house and start telling him how he ought to run his household. Not that I would, there's nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Using as an example, right? And so, but, but you see the point? He may work for me as a, one of my pastors, but there's a boundary to that. And so, there's a boundary to, I don't walk into some, one of your businesses and start telling you what to do about your business. Unless you ask me or I might see, hey, have you ever thought about this? But I'm not telling you how to run your business. So when people walk in the church and say, you ought to run it this way. Elders, you ought to run it this way. Guess what? You just stepped outside your authority. And you bring yourself under judgment, potentially. Let's move on. I'll show you. Let's look at this one ought to get you sobered up in a holy mackerel God. In Numbers chapter 12. Now, you got the younger brother, Moses. Now, just put the picture of this together. Miriam and Aaron, the older brother, who's the senior guy, he's the high priest. When Moses was arguing with God, he says, I, I don't have the, uh, I, I can't speak. Well, let me take that excuse off your plate, Moses. I'll give you your brother. He'll be your order, right? So he brings him. He says, okay. Well, now he's the high priest. He's also the older brother. So think about some sibling stuff there, right? How about Miriam? She's the older sister. She's the prophetess. You would think the high priest and the prophetess that operate with Moses ought to hear from God. Wouldn't you think so? Do you think they have a right to speak to Moses? Yes, they do. But how did they speak to Moses when they started? This is jealousy again. The spirit of jealousy is a strong man in the church. Verse 12 says this. 
when, let's look at verse 1. While they were at Hezeroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman, woman from Ethiopia. They said, the Lord spoken only through Moses? Hasn't he spoken through us too? But the Lord heard them. Now Moses was very humble, more humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called Moses and Aaron and Miriam and said, I want you to go to the tabernacle. We'll jump down. It says here, he gives them, the Lord gives them a lecture. If there are prophets among you, I, the Lord, will reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face, clearly not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he, as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my Moses servant? Now, I'm not in any way implying that pastors and leaders or presidents are Moses. But the principle here is very similar. And so we see here the Lord was very angry with them. Immediately, he strikes Miriam with leprosy. Can you imagine standing there before God and your skin goes white? Now, Aaron's no dummy. He hits the ground and repents. Oh, my master, verse 11, don't punish us for our sin, for this sin. We were so foolishly we committed this. Don't let us be like a stillborn baby already decayed at birth. Lord's still ticked off. He says, well, put her outside the camp for seven days. Probably like let her think about this for a little bit, right? Moses makes intercession for his brother and sister. And I don't believe they ever, they were probably real careful around the dinner table after that. I bet they, they got that one. Now, let me give you another example. Turn to number 16. In number 16, it's another sobering scripture. Remember Jethro had told his fa- Moses' father-in-law said, you're wearing yourself out. You need to get other people involved in your leadership team and break this down by the 50s, the 100s, and so on. So here we are. Korah is one of the prominent leaders. He is part of the leadership team in this probably at this point close to 2 million Jews. And so they've broken this down. There are 250 prominent leaders more than that, but this 250 sides with Korah and two others. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 16 of Numbers. On the day Korah, son of Ishar, and the descendants of Kotha, the son of Levi, conspired with Dothan and Abiram, the sons of Elab, and the son of Pilath, from the tribe of Reuben. They incited a rebellion against Moses with 250 other leaders of the community, all prominent members of the assembly, and they united against Moses and Aaron and said, you've gone too far, the whole community and Israel. He said, basically, they did not like Moses' decision. Now, these are people in leadership who then decide in rebellion to come against Moses. Now, this again, what's the level? There actually was jealousy. If you read the rest of the story, they were jealous about the Levitical priesthood. They were trying to position themselves in the priesthood. Well, the Lord has a different story about that. He says, bring them out tomorrow morning, verse 5, and let's see who's holy, who belongs to the Lord. Lord will allow only those who he selects, listen, he selects in his presence. Korah, you and your followers must prepare, put the incense burners together. I'm running out of time, but let me jump. It says, Korah, verse 10, Korah, he had already given this special ministry to you and your fellow leaders. 
Can't you be satisfied, Korah, with the ministry that you've been given already? No, he wasn't satisfied. I, I want more. I want this. I'm going to position myself. I'm going to butt at the trough. This is Ezekiel 9. He talks about the separation between the sheep and the sheep. And that is going on in the church today. And so there is a separate, there's this place. There is a shaking going on. He goes on, he says, Moses summoned Dathan and Abiram, verse 12, and the sons of Eliab, but they replied, we refuse to come before you. Isn't it enough that we brought us out of Egypt, land flowing with money, milk and honey, but that you now treat us like your subjects? No, you're a prominent leader. What's more, have you brought us to another land flowing with milk and honey? You haven't given us the new homeland, the fields, the vine. See, the Lord is leading him in the wilderness because of their own sin and their own complaining and griping. Now they turn against Moses and they say, you're not doing what we want you to do. Man, you... Then Moses became very angry and said to the Lord, don't accept their offerings, Lord. Meanwhile, look at verse 19. Meanwhile, Korah had stirred up the entire community against Moses and Aaron. They all gathered together at the tabernacle entrance. Moses and Aaron fell on their face by by the ground. Oh, Lord, they pleaded, you're the God who gives us breath of all creatures. Must you be angry with all these people and this, their sins? Anyway, when you jump down, look at what happens. They have shown contempt for you. This is in verse, because you've come again, verse 30, you've shown contempt for you, O Lord. He hardly finished speaking the words. Verse 31, the ground suddenly split open beneath them. The earth swallowed up the households and their followers and all those standing with them, everything they owned, went down alive into the grave. Along with all the belongings, the earth closed up on them. Verse 35, the fire blazed forth from the Lord and burned up 250 men who were offering the incense. All those who conspired, guess what? It's not a happy day. Now, I don't know about you, but I I would hope that at that point I'd be I don't know what's going on, but I'm not going to open my mouth. Guess what happens? They don't listen, and now they complain. Verse 41, the very next morning, the whole community of Israel began murmuring, muttering against Moses and Aaron, saying, you've killed the Lord's people. Moses opened up the ground and killed the Lord's people? Are you, what? I mean, how deceived, how how stupid can you be? Bottom line, right? It's like, I'm trying to. Not okay. As the community gathered to protest against Moses and Aaron, they turned towards the tabernacle, saw the cloud that had covered it, and the glorious presence of the Lord appeared. And Moses and Aaron came forth, stood in front of the tabernacle. The Lord, Moses, get away from these people, so that I can instantly destroy them. But Moses and Aaron fell on their face. Here they go in intercession again. Lord, please, they don't know what they're doing. Somebody else said that hanging on a cross. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they do. And Moses said to Aaron, quick, take an incense burner and place it. So he's trying to make intercession. But guess what happens? Because of that sin of rebellion and muttering and slandering and coming against the leadership, 14,700 people in that community die in a plague. There is innocence that gets hurt in all this stuff. Verse 49, 14,700 people died in the plague in addition to those who had died in the affair involving Korah 
And because the plague had stopped, Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tabernacle. They did not stay. Even though they were prominent leaders, they were places of even the prophetess. If you don't understand your boundary of authority, God can take care. Let's go on. Let's do it this way. Because some of this stuff is so unbiblical what's going on. In verse, look, let's look at number, let's pick up. Verse number two of the handout. These spirits are called out in the church, Cain, Kor, and Balaam. Jealousy, greed, and rebellion. Note, taking action to undermine legitimate authority can potentially bring you in conflict against God's plan. Number three, examples of undermining God's selected leaders. Those are the three. Number four, God will handle the authorities who are not following His will. God will do it. Now let's look at this. Let's pick. I don't have time. Well, you know this. You know what happened. What did what did Saul do to David? How many times did he try to kill him? What was the root of what he did? He was jealous of David. David's killed his ten thousand. Right, the singers are there. David's killed his ten thousand. Saul's killed. He opens the door of jealousy. And that door of jealousy leads to deception, which then leads to all the backbiting. And guess what? Then it opens the door to witchcraft. And that witchcraft, he then goes to the witch of Endor. And God takes the kingdom away from Saul, who was his first choice. Now, what did David do? Did David touch him? No, he didn't raise up a rebellion. What did he do? He had every opportunity. In fact, there were so many opportunities to test his heart. Let me run him through. He's in the cave, right? And he, says, he cuts his, his garment and says, my father, my father, I know you're trying to kill him. And several times Saul repented. And then he, the spirit of witchcraft and that rebellion and that jealousy came back in, deceived him. Well, you know what happens to him and his family. How about this one? Let's deal with Eli, the priest, and his wicked sons. Eli, you got two, you got half the infinity. They are priests underneath Eli. And they're having immoral behaviors. They're stealing from the church. They're, they're taking the offerings. And God warns Eli, says, you better do something about your sons. They're in a position of the priesthood. He doesn't. He warns them. He says, your whole family is going to die as a result of this. Well, what happens? Hophni and Phinehas, in fact, the whole kingdom suffers. When that leader does not take action as told by God, they lose the Ark of the Covenant. It is taken. It's captured. And that day, the kingdom is lost. Eli falls backward and breaks his neck. Hophni and Phinehas are murdered. And the ark of the presence, the presence of God is taken away. God knows how to deal with Eli's. He knows how to deal with Hophni and Phinehas's. You ought to trust God. We ought to trust God to let him deal with it. He knows very well how to. How about Herod? Here's Herod. He plots this lineage of Herod. He kills children under the age of two in his jealousy Because there was a king named Messiah who was being raised up in Bethlehem. So he goes there and it says he destroys them. Why? In his jealousy. He's an older man. Do you think this baby's going to rise up and take your kingdom? Really? He strikes and guess what happens to him? That day when he's sitting there in Acts chapter 12 as the great orator. He has a voice like an angel, like a god. And he doesn't share that glory with God. Guess what? An angel strikes him in Acts 12, and then and the worms eat him alive right in front of them on the stage. That ought to make you sober up. So there's a place here that God is God, and he knows exactly what it's doing. And he's king, and he's over the church. He's over the places of government. I don't, I don't like that he puts Stalin and Hitler and others in place. 
But let me read on. Number five, lest we think that this is some kind of manipulation and control. Number five, the, the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 does not suggest that God approves of corrupt government or ungodly officials or unjust legislation, which has got my heart all twisted up with some of the things that have gotten passed recently. Sometimes, however, in punishment for the sins of people or for other reasons known to him. God allows evil rulers and leaders to have their authority for a time. God grants authority to serve to good ends, Romans 8, 28. How that authority is exercised will be the accounting of each to whom it has been given. People in the church, leaders, I told you, we take a different test. We don't get it all right. But I'm telling you, when we humbly ask God, please, Lord, over and over, what do you want to do? How do you want to do this? Where do we go? We're after your presence. He knows what to do. He knows the heart of everyone who's here. And he's so graceful. And he's so loving. But we better understand in the maturity of what's coming in the earth right now, there is a marking in Ezekiel 9. The people are being marked. And there is a separation of sheep to sheep. He said there, was a, there were demonic spirits that would come. Last times, perilous times would come in Timothy. Men would be lovers of themselves, lovers of their money, disobedient, insolent, scoffers, slanderers. So, Lord, we pray, let it not be so. He goes on, he says, although obedience to earthly authority is the general rule, a clear biblical principle is that we need sometimes to disobey government if we're commanded to sin. For loyalty of God always takes priority over human authority. Amen. Some examples here. Esther, remember her? They're gonna, Haman's going to kill all the Jews. Esther says, over to Mordecai, says, you maybe even raised up for such a time as this. God has his plant in all the right places all the time. Amen. He is not surprised by anything that's going on. It says, Esther, how about Dan? Daniel, he faces the lion's den. Sometime you're going to go in the lion's den. King, I bless you, but I am not going to bow down and worship you. And he gets tricked by all the guys who were jealous of Daniel, and he ends up in the lion's den, and the king is interceding all night, doesn't sleep, gets in there. Well, he shut the mouth of the lion. He knows how to do that as well. And so, how about some others? We see this in Matthew, Acts chapter 5. After the apostles, it actually was, remember when uh, Peter I think it's in Acts chapter 5. Peter was Silas, right? And they said, are we going to bless you? You can't preach anymore about Jesus. You think we're going to listen to you? No, we're not. So there are times when, when they, if the government comes and says, you're going to do this and this and this, and it violates biblical principles, here we go. Handcuff me. We're not doing that. There is a place where open, but there are those who do it in the righteous way. How about Martin Luther King? He was a nonviolent man. This stuff that's going on, the rioting that's taking place in cities right now, the thing that's coming against. Now, if there's injustice, there's no excuse for injustice. It's not like authority can promote injustice. No. But God will take care of it. We do what he tells us to do in a righteous way, not lawlessness. We're not going to be sent out as vigilantes to, to correct the societies of Ill, ills in our society. We need to understand our boundaries. And we somehow, in this democracy mindset. When I go to Nepal and those places where they come under kingship, they understand 
this level of authority a lot better than we do in the Western mind. I get to vote in the church. I get to vote in somebody else's family. I get to vote in a guy's business. No, you don't. There are people that are in those levels of responsibility that are going to be challenged by God, judged by God, to carry out what he calls. And if they get it wrong, he knows how to take care of it. So look, I know this is straightforward, but it's, it's time that we really understand where we are and what we're doing. And if, if you don't particularly like the business you're associated with, leave. You don't like the government that you're under, leave. It's those that are saying they're going to Canada if somebody gets in that you know, they don't trust. Hey, that's your choice. You don't like the church you're in because of the leadership there? Leave. Find a place where God is leading you where you can benefit by it. So, look, I, it's time that we really understand, God, please help us. Help us to not be those who counter what God might be doing in the midst of things. You need to trust your elder board. You need to trust your leadership. And if you don't, then talk to the board, talk to me. That doesn't give you satisfaction, then let the Lord lead you. Okay, let's stand. Nice, easy message.